This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Great to have you with us on today's episode of Afternoons. Dr. Shafali Verma with us. As we tackle the tricky subject of food and our kids, how do we talk to them? Should they know what a calorie is, and is it ultimately our role as parents to lay down the law if we think those scales are creeping up too high? She's got some great advice for anyone who is worried about how to have those conversations and ultimately putting the health of our children first. We're talking health this afternoon and in studio, Dr. Shafali Verma. Now, I find the topic of talking to children about food and nutrition and weight a bit of a tricky one, a bit of an emotional one. And judging by the messages I've had, something we all need a bit of help on navigating. Dr. Shafali, you're here, I guess, as a a doctor and a mum, which I think is really important. Um, Would you mind explaining a little bit about your approach to medicine in general and perhaps how it applies when we're thinking about food and nutrition in particular? So I call myself an integrative medical doctor, and that basically is looking at the body as a whole. Um, And by looking at the body as a whole, it kind of takes away this whole specialist, you know, your tummy ache, gastro, Mm -hmm. ENT for the ears, nose and throat. It's like everything is connected. Um, And I think because it's kind of like a new way of thinking, I think I have more time for my patients to have to explain. So one of the things that I think is different is that we have to educate people within the session Mm -hmm. in order for us to get the results that we want because it's so new age, as it were. Is it it new age? When do you think it kind of came in as as a concept? I I don't think it's new age. I think that when the internet and information was available to all and people were interested in reading and then when they had these questions before they would ask their doctor, now they'll go on the internet and they'll ask Dr. Google. So they come in with sort of new ideas and things like that. So they're actually looking for the alternative way. They're Mm -hmm. looking for a second opinion. They're looking for someone to be able to communicate what they didn't understand. I mean, back in the day, your doctor could say anything and you'd be like, okay. Whereas now you'd be like, uh, well, mm -hmm, I have a question. Yeah, I've got, I've read this, you know, we've got more information at at our fingertips. And I think that I don't want to say power balance, but certainly the information balance is, is somewhat Look, shifted. It's good and it's also bad because when you visit Dr. Google, you are potentially create fear, you, you go through anxiety, you've already, you know, gone through this diagnosis that actually hasn't been diagnosed. Mm, you might have a bit of a confirmation bias that you're looking for information to confirm what you think you might have. Right. But it also can delay diagnosis because mm. now you're fearful. So if you're fearful and you don't go and get it tested because now you're worried, you're also delaying diagnosis of the correct thing. So, you know, it plays back and forth. I think knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. uh, So it's great to read, but you can't take everything on the Internet as expert because anyone on the internet can be an expert but they're not necessarily one absolutely well we we bring in the experts i'm going to kind of lift the lid a little bit on on putting together a radio show so sometimes we will hear of a study we will hear of an expert and say you know that's something we really want to explore you know come in and let's talk about it let's let's help out people on the text line you know whatever it looks like and then we have sometimes our favorite go-to guests and regulars of which <laughs> you are one in which case i'll say Yay. what's happening you know, what do you want to talk about? What's coming up in clinic? What are you hearing from clients? You know, what's going on? And you want to talk today about children and food and nutrition and diet. And I wondered why that was in particular. You know, um, 
actually recently I saw a, a child, I mean, a 16-year-old is a child, uh, who is quite, you know, overweight, as it were. And the mum brought him to see me. And obviously she has all these fears. There's a family history of diabetes and so on and so forth. But to him, she is the nagging mother. And then when you actually have a conversation and you think that, okay, the changes, he's not making the changes, not because he does not want to, because he does not understand what she's talking about. So in terms of not understanding, you know, what specific condition or issue might be or the gravitas, that, you know, how serious it might be. Which all is kind of like the same thing. I mean, if you're not going to worry about diabetes, if you don't know what diabetes actually means in terms of what you would understand and how it's going to affect you. Mm -hmm. So you don't have fear. Mm -hmm. If you don't have fear, you don't necessarily are going to make the changes because it your emotion and mum's emotion is totally different. And this is where you end up, I guess there's conflict. And when there's conflict and then you have a 16-year-old child, there's, you know, hormones and being rebellious and so on and so forth. It's not necessarily the best way to get uh, the result you want, but also in that way, you lose your mum being the mum. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just need your mum to be your mum. Look, I have children and I have all this knowledge and I always say, what's the point of helping all these other children if I can't help my own? You know, it's the same with my family and certain. But sometimes my husband, David, has to like change the conversation and make them understand differently and by watching this, now my kids are 11, you know, it has changed this conversation of me in clinic with my kid patients. I never wanted to see children in clinic. But now that I am, you know, you have a different way of communicating with a child than mm -hmm. I would with, say, the parent. Can I ask then, how much projection do we see of our own fears as adults about being overweight, being unhealthy onto our children? You know, massive. I do see that a lot with uh with anything. It comes the same thing as in like, you know what, my dad had cancer. I'm really worried. My dad's been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Can you please check? You know, we mm -hmm. it, it's in everything, right? And being overweight is technically also a disease of mm -hmm. obesity, right? So it, it follows the same thing. But I think when they're children and we're looking at proactive health, because really we don't want that to happen to them, mm -hmm. education is key. What about the flip side? Um, what if a parent is in, and we're talking about overweight now, but we, we've actually had questions about children being underweight as well. What about parents who are in denial that their child is an unhealthy weight? And I think this is where when you have regular, you know, consultations with your pediatrician and they start put plotting you on sort of the percentile graphs and things like that. This is what why we want to monitor it. This is where the expert comes in and says, look, I think there potentially might be a problem. We need to look at so and so forth. She's not, you know, coming up, you know, on the same percentile or she's dropping in the percentile. You know, these are the things bit, you know, heavier, lighter, shorter, you know, all of them. Mm -hmm. And that's why we measure, I guess, you know, this is the same sort of screening that we would do, you know, 30, 40 years later for some other disease. We are tackling the topic of weight, nutrition, food. I'm curious in terms of, you know, everyone's, everyone's you know, doing, looking at their macros right now as adults. But when we think about what our children should be consuming on a daily, weekly basis, what is on that list? Dr. Shafali Verma is with us today. Do 
Joining us in studio, integrative family medicine doctor, uh, Dr. Shivali Verma is here. Um, we're going to be talking about how to talk to our children about food, should they know what a calorie is. And many of you getting in touch on the text line. Uh, Zia with us now. Um, she has a son in his early 20s and understands you're worried about his weight, Zia. That's correct, I am. Tell us a little bit about, um, I don't know if you know how much he weighs or what his BMI would be, but um, tell us a little bit about what you're worried about. Yeah, well, he's about 22 years old. He's about six foot tall and he weighs, uh, give or take, about 100 kilos. And, uh, I mean, he looks overweight, you know. uh, So I'm quite worried. Diabetes runs in our family, uh, hypertension, etc., and uh, he's just starting out in life, and I don't want him to be saddled with those kind of, uh, you know, diseases early on. I'd like him to lose the weight is, and be it, and enjoy his youth. Yeah, so absolutely. Is the, is the challenge how to talk to him about it, how to encourage him? Is that what you're struggling with? Yeah, my struggle is that he, I, you know, I send him links when I see things or, you know, send him suggestions on how to cook his meals. He lo- he lives in Canada, so he has to, he's uh, working and studying there. Mm-hmm. So he's got to cook his own meals and, you know, he obviously he's on a budget. I send him links, I give him suggestions and he kind of ignores them or he, he gets really embarrassed if I address his weight in person. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like I'm not getting through Thank I, you. So how can I encourage him? So okay. can I just ask, do you, does he think he has a problem? Because it's very I mean, difficult, I think, if yeah. you if he doesn't really feel that there's a problem, then I think then it's difficult to then communicate and you to be telling him that there's a, you know, I, I think if, if you find that he um, doesn't think there's a problem, then I think mm-hmm. this is where I think having maybe looking at it another way and maybe encouraging to have like health checks, just, you know, not necessarily putting it into him that you think he's overweight and therefore, but in general, I think it's a good Mm -hmm. idea to maybe look at his nutrients, you know, look at his and have sort of, you know, go see someone who is Mm -hmm. professional in that as opposed to you doing it. Because not only you're the mom, so that's hard mm-hmm. enough as it is. Mm-hmm. You're concerned mm-hmm. and, you know, nobody wants their mum to be concerned and nobody wants, you know, it, it's difficult to be receiving sort of links and things like that, sort of instigating something um, where mm-hmm. you know that he's feeling embarrassed. But I think it's for him, I think, to, especially because he is, you know, technically an adult, you know, and mm-hmm. therefore ultimately he's not living with you. I think it's important for him to really go and, and seek some sort of help and confirmation whether there is or there is not a problem. So is it a case of kind of realizing what hat you're wearing? You know, your mum hat versus your kind of medical expert hat? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. I think when you, if you can sense that, you know, he's embarrassed or he's ignoring you, that, that I think that affects the relationship in general, mm-hmm. you know, and I think sometimes you've got to protect the mum relationship so that when there is mm-hmm. anything, you know, he's always going to come to you as opposed to not. I think, uh, Zira, I'm going to be completely honest with you. This is something me and my mum struggled with for years and years and years. You know, all through high school, she would talk to me about my weight. I'd come home at university for the weekend and we'd have a lovely time and I would be emotionally braced for her to say, Helen, we need to talk about your weight or Helen, what are you doing about your weight? And it would ruin the whole weekend and it started to honestly started to overshadow our relationship because I would just dread those interactions and I felt so embarrassed and so judged Um, and in the end it kind of had to come from me I think I was in denial a a lot about just kind of how overweight I was for for a very long time 
Um, and it took, it did, it did take time, but I, I would like to echo that from the child's point of view. What's, what's doctor saying there that it, it became something that I would be like, Oh God, when's she going to talk to me about how fat I am? Like that, then, and that, and that. That's just ru- was a and that's ruining the present, isn't it? It really? did. Cause it you're really like worried did. about something. That's what, what anxiety is. Yeah. It's it like was. already emoting on something that hasn't happened before it happens. And that just ruins everything. Yeah. I don't know if that's been helpful, Zia, but um, I think it's something to think about personally. But as I said, it's very different to be thinking about a 12-year-old versus a 22-year-old and our roles and responsibilities and what we can control. But um, please keep us posted. Um, and thank you for raising it. I think it's a really important thing to be hearing about, you know, what, how we act out of love and, and concern and ultimately with the best intentions. Um, so, Zia, thank you. Dr. Shafali with us today. So when we look at children in particular... Um, what are some of the ways we can talk to our children about the importance of, I nearly said good food there, that's not what I meant, yeah, about, yeah. about good nutrition? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, it, it, it is nutrition 101. And I think a lot of people ask, well, you know, how early does one talk about, you know, you asked this question earlier about calories, um, whether or not, you know, everyone's on about macros and do we talk about macros? Now, obviously, I don't call it macros, but I think my children know what a carbohydrate is, what a protein is and what a fat is. A lot of adults that I see in clinic don't. You know, and I think that this level of nutrition is what are these nutrients or macros used for? Mm. So, okay, when you, you know, have a carbohydrate, what are we looking at? Where is it going? Um, you know, a fat, good fat, you know, what does that mean? And why is it important? You know, there there's certain, you know, vitamins that are fat soluble. We require it. We're not going to, we're not going to get them scared of consuming fat, um, protein obviously and muscle and you know immune system and you know it's about it's about choosing how to educate them in a language they're going to understand so i remember us talking to the children and talking about protein and amino acids but in the forms of like lego and building blocks you know because they would understand what that means and if and relate it to their daily activity my 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 girls play football. They're very sort of, you know, active and recovery and, you know, when carbs are important, protein when it's important, you know, hydration and what that means and why we need to hydrate. I'm telling them now, you know, you're sweating so much. What do you think you're losing? Mm-hmm. You know, and why is it important? You know, I have educated them in that sort of way. So they're, you know, they, they do talk carbs, protein, fats. Are they monitoring theirs? No, I don't create fear. I think fear is probably uh, the worst thing the worst thing you can because stress then makes you, you know, there's a lot of people who are stress eaters and, yeah. you know, so, so forth. Create different habits. So are there any um, words, phrases to avoid when we're talking to our children about their nutrition? I never associate food with how your body looks. Yeah. Because I think that it is very difficult being children where we have so much media around where we have, you know, what they watch, what they feel they need to look like, you know, what your peers, I don't think your parents should make it an unsafe space for you at home, you know. So I think what you look like related to how you eat, we should never put those two together, really, mm-hmm. not as children. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk energy in, energy out, because I think that's important in terms of calories. Uh, I talk about you know, learning to know what it is to be satisfied versus being stuffed. Listening to your body. That's it. I it's mean, that, that being <laughs> slow and that, chewing your food so that you know 
how your body feels when you consume enough food versus too much food. Mm-hmm. You know, that matters. That, but not because, you know, that's going to make you overweight, but, you know, it affects digestion. It might affect you, your sleep. You might feel uncomfortable. You might feel bloated. So how can you feel your best self, you know, for as, as long as you can in your control? I feel like it, there's different ways of sort of educating them depending on what age they are. Um, as I said, it can be a really difficult conversation to have or conversations. It shouldn't just be one case of sitting no. down and being like, now we're going to talk about food. Um, are there any books? And I ask this because I'm reading a book with my eight, nearly nine-year-old now called Celebrate Your Body. And it's this, um, it's a puberty book. It's aimed at, at girls aged eight. And we're just coming up to the section on nutrition. And I'm actually excited to get to it mm-hmm. because I'm hoping it's going to kind of alleviate some, you know, it's going to come from someone else. It's not going to come from her mum. Are there any books that you recommend, any websites, anything, or is it a case of us educating ourselves and then continuing that with our kids? Well, I mean, I think, I do think that that's important because I think that it's almost shouldn't be a thing. It should be more of that, you know, it is in passing that we're all kind of talk- like sometimes we talk about it on the tables. We don't make it a specific subject that we need to discuss unless we're going to be talking about, you know, human performance because we're talking about football and the lionesses. Yeah, yeah. got you. Dr. Shafali with us today. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. studio as we talk kids food nutrition the concerns that so many parents have and i don't say this lightly we've had so many messages which i think makes us all feel a little bit less alone in our worries uh we've got integrative dr shafali verma and sarah um on the line now you have an eight-year-old daughter sarah tell us um what's going on in your your house your head your heart how can we help hi helen and uh, doctor thank you very much for giving me time pleasure so Thanks. Um, I have a eight-year-old and a four-year-old daughter, and my eight, uh, my older one, um, she's quite picky in terms of what she eats and why I'm so conscious that what I'm feeding them. So basically, I try to introduce to them the most healthiest food I can, um, but at the same time, she's really, really giving me hard time to take protein, meat, chicken, and all this. At the same time, also, she is really, really difficult when it comes to taking any vi- any kind of vitamins, even the gummies, which the other children really like to have. So this is concerning me. And at the same time, I push for it. So I really don't know the mental damage I might do to her. Is it more important or being so cautious about what she eats? So when you say she's kind of conscious about what she eats, is she kind of so-called health conscious? Does she want to be talking about healthy foods or is she what a lot of people say is a a picky eater, Sarah? Well, um, I think I am more like that. I mean, she's she's happy with what she eats and what, what she's not eating, but I am very cautious and I'm really trying to push her to eat what I want her to eat, which I know she needs that Mm -hmm. and it is giving me hard time and putting her sometimes in hard time in tears because she doesn't want to eat meat but I want her to okay and I feel like she's not growing enough like she's uh, one of the shortest in her class and her younger sister is four she's almost reaching to her height okay all right thank you doctor what would you be asking so you know I mean I I would probably ask like you know uh, number one I don't know if you're the right person to 
or no, not the right person. I'm not sure you'd be the only person who should be seeing her. So I definitely think that if, you know, if on seeing her pediatrician and they're plotting her, you know, percentile and she's coming off, that is something that your doctor needs to advise and have a conversation with the child with you because otherwise you will be the bad guy. And, exactly. you know, as, 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 and that relationship during this time is very important to have, like, mom on your side. Otherwise, you know, we were talking earlier in the break about, like, you know, kids hiding food and things that, you know, when they are able to get these ideas, they will start to do that because, you know, they don't feel necessarily safe at home. I think it's very important to be safe at home. Uh, I don't think you should be, you know, necessarily making her cry and emote and that kind of stuff, even though inside your heart, you know that that's probably not the right thing to do. So you got to find balance. Uh, it shouldn't be like the topic. It's like, you know, Helen was saying earlier, you know, she remembers she has these like traumatic memories of like holidays and things like that with, you know, things that she had gone through. I think being a picky eater and with children, children don't know how to express themselves. So, you know, you got to ask the question, you know, why doesn't she like meat? You know, is it texture? Is it, does it make her feel sick? Does she feel not so good? People, you know, children don't know how to necessarily express symptoms. And this is where, you know, you can sort of go into those kind of questions. Well, what is it making you feel like? You know, does it make you feel this or that? that? I think having conversations and treating them in a way where you're, it, it's a two-way energy exchange as opposed to you telling her mm-hmm. and her not having space to you know, come back and tell you how she's feeling. It's not going to go any further. In fact, it's going to create more and more conflict. And comparison to your sibling may not be the best thing either because ultimately there are plenty of, you know, one sister may be taller, one bro- whatever have you, depending on, you know, the genetics. This is something that your your peds doctor should be able to, like, tell you whether or not, you know, it's a problem or not. Yeah. Um, Sarah, I'd also just like to um, add in, we, before Christmas, there was an incident around our dining table because my youngest one is really picky where she was crying. <laughs> I was crying. <laughs> um, it is a really emotional one because, you know, all we want as parents is, you know, for our kids to be happy and healthy and go through the world making good choices. And it's really hard to get to that point. But I think I think doctors absolutely bang on in terms of see if the doctor is concerned. Let them have those conversations because when girls especially get to that kind of eight, nine, this is when we want our, our bonds to that with them to be really strong and for them to be Absolutely. able to come to us. So I really hope that helps. But I think the fact that, you know, you're reaching out as a concerned parent means that you are an amazing parent. So so please don't, yeah, exactly. please don't doubt yourself and wishing you and uh, your daughter all the very, very best. Um, the text lines are open. How do you feel about a bit of a quick fire round, Dr. Shafali? Let's try. Let's try. Okay. <laughs> and Master Shea is saying, how important are nuts um, and any suggested ways to include them in a child's diet? I mean, look, I think nuts are, are they're good fat. So obviously all your fat-soluble vitamins are required. There are lots of other fats like avocado, you know, nut butters, you know, easy. Put them in shakes if they're really anti-nuts. I mean, my daughter likes to have a, as long as there's no allergies, obviously that's very important. Uh, depends on when you actually introduce your nuts. So obviously when you first introduce them, introduce them slowly because you want want to make sure there's no reaction uh, but like my daughter puts it in her you know her shakes sometimes because it actually like does bulk up calorific at first in the morning if she doesn't fancy anything uh, lots of kids like little like olives and like snacks and things like that it really goes on to taste to be honest yeah. okay so it's not like a problem if they're not having a handful of nuts oh, there's every day. so many different good fats that okay. you can have it doesn't right, have brilliant um 
how much attention should we be playing to that kind of percentile? Because we've had a message here from Suman saying, son is eight, um, just below the first percentile for weight. He was born at ninth. He's ever so slim. Um, he wears age five clothes, eats well, three good meals a day, plus snacks. He's active on the go. Any advice? I mean, is your doctor concerned? I think this is something that I think is very important. This is where you develop a relationship with your pediatrician. And these are the conversations that you should have. A pediatrician, technically, a general pediatrician, should be almost like a family medicine doctor. So mm-hmm. if you have concerns and you're following up, you know, and if you are, what you say, well, what's on the ninth? On the first, you know, should I be worried? And they will look at things like, you know, is he eating? Is he sleeping? Is he having fun? Is he energetic? Is he, you know, playing sport? Does he have friends? You know, those are the kind of like lifestyle factors that doesn't seem to be a problem and he's doing everything. And then, you know, sometimes maybe wait. I always think that, you know, if somebody was on the top percentile, dropping to the lowest, you know, you have a reason to ask a question. So if they don't bring it up, say, you know, ask that question. Sometimes I have given chewable digestive enzymes to children made from plants uh, just to make sure that they're actually absorbing the food that they're consuming. So you're not what you eat, you are what you absorb. And sometimes that plays a part, you know, Um parasites, you know, another thing, you know, worms, things like that, you know, how often do you do deworm like your children, you know, those kind of things are questions, you know, are there any other symptoms? Do they grind their teeth? Do they complain of an, you know, itchy anus? Do they, you know, there's lots of different sort of potential symptoms that we're not looking for because we're just thinking of one thing, but there are other symptoms that are actually indicating something else. You know, look for those things and mm-hmm. see if there's a problem. Um, I wanted to ask you about sleep because Julie Mallon, who's a sleep consultant, has mentioned saying, you know, we really can't underestimate the importance of sleep in our children's mental health, but their metabolic health too. And I know this as an adult. If I slept really badly the night before... What do you f- want to eat? You want to eat anything and yeah, everything. Yeah, my food choices are garbage the next day because we're looking for that, you know, quick burst of energy. Um, so in terms of sleep and kids' nutrition? 100%. I think that when you're tired... When you're low, you kind of like want food. But there was a study done, and I remember learning this when I was doing body comp sort of education earlier, where they put two sets of children, they put one set of like, children in play, letting them play video games all night and one having like good sleep, da, da, da. and then they would open out a pantry the next day for them to choose food. The kids that played video games all night and didn't have any sleep they chose all the sugary, sort of, you know, wasteful, calorific, da-da-da. And the other ones, they still, obviously, kids love, you know, sugar, but they would have more almost control into looking at the good things as well and so on and so forth. Because when you don't sleep, hormones of satiety, hormones of, you know, hunger, they all get disrupted. You know, if you're on a plane and you're doing, you know, uh, uh, the red eye, and you've had dinner at home and they give you, you'll eat. Then you reach the next destination and actually it's the time zone of, you know, a time where you shouldn't be eating at home. You'll still eat and you'll eat and you because you haven't slept. Mm-hmm. You know, it affects you. It makes you happier. It, there's so many other reasons. So sleep is extremely important for anyone and everyone. Last question. As a doctor, as a mum, is there anything that you would never say to your children And equally, and never want them to eat. So I would never, ever, like I said, associate food with, you know, body composition. I would never be, I would never want to be the reason for any form of body dysmorphia in a society that is so visually sort of all about what you look like. I would never want it to come from me. Safety has to be at home. I would never use the word fat. 
I would never use the word chubby, even overweight or, you know, look cute or you're flabby. None. None of those kind of words that are associated with, you know, body comp for a child. It sticks. Anything mom and dad say sticks. Right? They're sponges. If they're sponges for everything else, why wouldn't they be sponges for this too? Mm-hmm. Right? And it's associated with an emotion. Yes. That's exactly what I was about to say, where it's, it's got this connotation. And what about foods? Anything that you'd be like, that is not coming into my house? You know, like, honestly, yeah, I used to say that. But does it come into the house once in a while? Yes. I mean... It does happen. And even, you know, I'll be the person and, and then David will be like, oh, you always say, you know, shouldn't have this. But to, and I just think it's got to almost be nothing is kids are resilient. Kids are whatever. But sometimes, like, say, my girls, they don't tolerate dairy. Well, we generally don't have dairy in the house. But if there's something that can, they're like, no, mom, just this one time, da, da, you know, and, and we let it. And if they feel uncomfortable, I associate and tell them, well, this is how it made you feel. Yeah. You make the decision. Now my kids will say, I don't want to feel like that again. That's not me telling them. It was me educating them that I don't want you to feel bad about mm-hmm. it because you don't do well on it. Good distinction. You know. Um, apologies to Ronan Keating. I've just ditched his song. Sorry, yeah. Ronan, <laughs> because we've had a message who's about an 11-year-old boy who doesn't eat fruit or vegetables because he says they're slimy. He also eats while reading a book. He is on the heavier side. What can I do? So two-part question there. One is, I guess, about sensory eating and you know is that cause for concern and who do you go and see about that? And I guess the other is about mindful eating and, you know, I mean, here it's the case of reading a book, but so many kids eating while watching their iPads or watching TV. I mean, but as adults, yeah, don't we do that? Yeah. I mean, we, we all do it. But I had, we, you know, lunch at my desk while working. That's it. I mean, I, look, I think that the most important thing is to make sure they at least they're getting breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, depending on how the you know gap is between breakfast, lunch and dinner, they might be hungry in between. So what you choose to give them in their snacks is one thing. If you find they are just eating rubbish during that time, it's not that, oh, they're eating while they're eating. They're just eating rubbish where it's high calories for the wrong reasons and where they could eat something better. So you could offer them, you know, something better, you know, one day yes, one day no. I would never take something away and say, you cannot have this. I would try and explain to them, try and almost dilute it slowly over time so that they're not feeling like they're on a diet, but we're working on a lifestyle, you know. I think we're that's being, also... Just we're a, being healthy, we're being strong, we're being fast. We're all the, all the positive things okay. right, associated. Dr. Shafali, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, Dr. Shafali Verma with me this afternoon. This content is for information informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.